It is Elite Day edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvans. We're here to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Of course, last weekend, we had a pair of fight cards with UFC Mexico, where the underdogs in the main event and co-main event both got victories. Wasn't looking good for Brian Ortega early on, but bounces back to get the win. Really, uh, really starts off to a very bad start for Brian Ortega, rolling his ankle there as he's being introduced. And, of course, a uh, great matchup between Brandon Royval, Bram Moreno. Very close fight. Could have gone either way. Of course, earlier in the day, we had the PFL of Bellator show. We'll talk about that as we go throughout the show. Of course, UFC is back at the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 87 early start time on Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern time will be your prelim start there on ESPN plus Daniel. It is Thursday. We're two days away from the weekend. I can't wait. Me neither. You got any big plans this weekend, Jason? It's a blank canvas right now. As someone was saying to me last night, blank canvas of what this weekend could be. But uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm actually the only thing that's on my agenda for this weekend is to go get get some workouts in. But uh, yeah, it's it, the schedule is wide open for this weekend. Absolutely. It is wide open. It's more wide open than, I don't know, a modern day UFC champion. You look at Ilya Taporia, he's like, all right, bro, I won the title in. February. My next fight will be in November. I'm going to take that many times off. So we kind of have that UFC champion schedule, Jason, or we just have a whole lot of nothing going on as we wait for uh, our inevitable Conor McGregor fight. I, so that, I saw, you've been on the same schedule, bro. It's interesting you say that because I, I was, uh, when I got here in the office early this morning, I was over on the MMA Reddit, and one of the, the threads was essentially talking about is, are we now reaching the era of the UFC where the active UFC champion just is not the case anymore? It seems like, who, who was that? Was that a, somebody on the call trying to make a UFC 400 main event, Jason? Apparently. They're like, all right, we need a UFC 400 main event. Okay, we need someone who's not a draw uh, that we can just main event the show with. Yeah, um, I do think... We have seen champions follow this tact, and the tact is simple. I'm going to fight once or twice a year. I'm going to fight Conor McGregor. That's my strategy. And it seems like Teporia has immediately just like gone into that strategy, which I guess he's earned. I mean, fight on your own time, man. I mean, I guess, but as a, as a fight fan... It does suck to no longer have Volkanovski and Adesanya as champions because those two fighters were very, very active defending that championship. It may not be a bad thing if you're the UFC, though, because it would give you a little bit of time. And we'll talk we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it will give them time to find out who is that true number one contender. Because, you know, when we talk about UFC Mexico, I think the thing that's going to be, I, I think, a big talking point for me is you look at the main event and the co-main event, the flyweight division, the featherweight division. They're two divisions where, like... I just don't think you have that clear-cut number one contender. So it may be a good thing for the UFC that, you know, if Taporia is not going to fight till October, November, and let's just say they're going to do that fight card in Spain, it gives them time to maybe do a Brian Ortega versus whoever as a number one contender fight. Yeah, I mean, I think right now at Featherweight, you know, that was a really good performance out of Brian Ortega. It was surprising performance. I, I was thinking yeah, you was going to go out there and win, but Ortega – Look like a new guy. Hopefully, the man can stay healthy. 
he he is like a starting pitcher for your MLB team that has had two Tommy John surgeries, so you really can't count him to be there in October at this point because he's had such poor luck. But skill-wise, bro looks good. That being said, Jason, I look at those featherweights. The, to me, the two most interesting featherweights in the world right now that don't have a championship belt is Brian Ortega and Max Holloway. Obviously, Mosar Eflev is on the outside looking in in that weight class. But Holloway and Ortega, those are the two realistic title challengers. And obviously, the other name that's a part of that conversation is the former champion. Maybe we see Ortega matched up with Alexander Volkanovsky as a number one contender's fight. An opportunity for Ortega to continue to validate his claims for that championship opportunity. And Volkanovsky to come out here, return to form, and be like, damn. The featherweight goat really does have a op, like a real obligation to challenge Taporia. Taporia does look like a star. I saw that video of him in the uh, the Bernabo. I probably pronounced that incorrectly, but the place where they play soccer, and it was so cool to see him finally dressed in his suit uh, going forward. As far as the flyweight division, Jason, I guess Roy Val gets the shot next. But if you have some time. How would you like to see that weight class develop? Because there's not much that gets me excited for Pantoja's next defense. That main event wasn't the most exciting main event for my cup of tea. Let me let me touch on Taporia first before I get into the, the, the flyweight division there. I know here in the United States, we are not big soccer fans. It's a massive story that a UFC champion does the kickoff at Real Madrid's game in Spain. That is a massive deal. Like I like to me that would be like a major football game in the US and they're doing the coin flip. Yeah. That's that is a big deal. I I think. I and, don't know. I don't I, know. I'm uneducated on I like soccer, but I call it soccer. So that lets you know everything about how much I know about football. It, it's a it's a massive deal for him to do that, and I think the UFC understands they may have something in Ilya Taporia. This may be a guy that can be like you know one of the things, and you know with all the criticism of the UFC 300 main event with star power, Taporia may be potentially that next big international star for for the UFC. I mean, I'm not you know I don't, I don't want to say he's the next Conor McGregor, but you see the potential where he could absolutely be a star. Now, when you talk about that flyweight division. The, the problem is, is, you know, if you're Pantoja and Pantoja wants to defend his title 10 weeks from now at the UFC pay-per-view there in, in Sao Paulo, in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, is, okay, do you have an appetite for wanting to see him take on Roy Val, who he just defeated back in December? I, the appetite's not there for me. I understand why you would give it to him. Amir Albazi's got a neck injury, so he's likely out of the scenario. So, like to me, there's not like there's not that true number one contender if the whole mindset is Pantoja defending his title there in, in May in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, you, you you look at that that makes one go and look at the the bantamweight division and be like, who can cut to one twenty five and make it interesting? And I don't see a name there. You, you look at flyweight, and you have a bunch of guys who are one fight away. Manil Kopp, definitely uh, one fight away. Okay, or, but uh, he has been, one fight away. Okay, but Manil Kopp missed weight and didn't get I to know. fight night. Like, that to, to like, like, you look yes. at, like, you look at this top tip. If Amir Albazi was healthy and ready to go in May, I think 
I if I was UFC, that's a route I'd go. But it looks like that's not going to be the equation here. I mean, like, what if Muhammad Makayev goes out there and puts on a performance on Saturday against Alex Perez? Does he jump all these other contenders? Like, it, it's an issue for the UFC because there's just not like, do you kind of want to continue to go down this whole Pantoja versus Roy Val, Pantoja versus Moreno line, or do you sit there and say, you know what? Maybe if Makayev looks great on Saturday, maybe he's the guy that steps up. Yeah, there's an opportunity there for Makayev. There really is. It's crazy because when you look at his resume, it's not championship caliber quite yet. I mean, if he gets the win, that goes along with a win over Tim Elliott and Malcolm Gordon as the most notable victories with a 5-0 and start to his UFC career. It obviously feels too early. But this is definitely a flyweight division where nothing feels ready yet for Pantoja. Again, to me, there's no appetite for that Roy Val rematch because we just saw it happen. And more importantly, as good as the storylines have been, the consistent rematches in the flyweight championship picture has been a bit exhausting. I think there's an opportunity to do something interesting here. And even though it feels like too much too soon. I do think the best move forward might be if Mikhaev looks good, put him in the championship picture. He's one of those guys who has star potential, star power. I would say he has more potential for notoriety than Ilya Taporia. I think Ilya certainly is a much better fighter. Granted, Ilya is a lot older. But the difference between Mikhaev and Taporia, in my opinion is maybe when they're on the microphone, Makayev's a little more charismatic, and that translates more. That's the one hesitation I have on Ilya as a superstar. In the cage and on social media, Ilya does the talking. In the cage, he's phenomenal, one of the best fighters in the world. When he's on the microphone with Joe Rogan, it leaves me a little flat. He needs to work on that. Makayev, I think, is already kind of got there. So I, I think that might be the direction. It's an interesting direction. It's a it's a UFC event that needs a pair of championship bouts. It certainly is going to need another one to go on top of the Pantosia fight. But uh, I, I think that's where you're going because, again, you, you watch that UFC fight night main event, you don't leave thinking, damn, Brandon Roy Val is the best flyweight in the world. He needs to challenge for the title. You, you go down thinking, that was a really nice technical scrap. Brandon Moreno left some on the table. That was a close decision. I don't know how the hell you score round one. You know, that's <laughs> kind of what you go away thinking after Saturday. Yeah, close, close fight. By the way, Brandon Roy Val uh, earlier this week on his Instagram said, from public enemy number one to number one contender, came off the couch for a short-notice fight against a former champion in his hometown, most likely tore my MCL in the first minute of the fight. Hate it or love it, though, the underdogs on top. So there becomes also an injury situation there uh, for him. And, and, like, and you think about UFC 301, which is going to be the card in Brazil, it was slated to be Alex Pajaya versus Jamal Hill. Of course, that got moved up to UFC 300. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. But yeah, like you look at, you know, I guess we'll just talk about UFC Mexico since we're kind of, you know, here already. It's a close fight. 
And if you if you say if you go and I pull ten people and someone says, Hey, I think Bram Moreno won that fight, I got no problem with you saying that. If you say Bram Royval won that fight, no problem. I, I think one of the things of I just as I was watching the fight on, on my couch on Saturday, I just wish that Moreno would have bit would have pushed a little bit more. I just I, I, I heard Kenny Foreign, you know, said on his podcast that he thought that Moreno has regressed a little bit in, in his last two fights. And I just you know, I, I just thought that we haven't seen the same urgency in Bram Moreno. And, uh, and look, on you know, the other side is one of my questions mark with Bram Roy Val is does, does this guy have 25-minute gas tank? Clearly has it. I thought he also showed a – I was talking about this uh, with Pete on, on uh, last week's Fight HQ podcast. And I said, you know, one of my things about Roy Val is, like, to me he just takes a lot of unnecessary risk and and looking to finish the fight and i just thought that we saw a more labored brand roy val in this one fighting you know you know not taking those risks that we've seen before and look he's he's right there at the top of his division but like i just as a consumer of the sport i'd rather see pantoja fight a new challenger yeah roy val didn't do enough to justify a rematch and when you take into account of the series entry he had going up against one of the best fighters in the weight class history, you got to tip your cap to him. But that's not the type of context that a casual fan is aware of and will care about. We don't really care about injuries unless it's incredibly obvious what transpired within a fight. It doesn't register. It doesn't resonate. He's in that trajectory to get a fight. If they need to make it, they will. Offensively, Brandon Royval continues to showcase why he's one of the best fighters in that weight class. To me, it was the significant strikes he landed within that fight that allowed him to steal rounds, specifically with his punching. I think what Brandon, he very much is, you never know what you're going to get when that dude fights. You don't know if he's going to go out there and fight like the best flyweight in the world or if he's going to get too cute with his game plan or execution of said game plan. I wouldn't be shocked if you tell me two years from now Brandon is a flyweight champion. I wouldn't be shocked two years from now if you tell me he's on a three-fight losing streak. I think his talent level is incredibly high. It's just a matter of consistently performing like a champion at this point. You know, is this a guy who's going to be able to get the championship for the third time? I think he can I really do. He's just got to be a little more aggressive early on in fights, let things flow, and perform well. I, I think he'll be able to do it. But, man, this is a guy where he is very inconsistent with not only how he fights, but, like, the game plan he's doing. It's like I, I don't even know how you go about predicting a Brandon Moreno fight because you just don't know what type of – style he's going to fight. Maybe this is the time the UFC calls one FC and is like, hey, let's do that Demetrius Johnson trade again. Let's get Demetrius Johnson back in the UFC. That's the name we can sell against Pantoja. Oh, no. I, I would be totally down if that, if that were to happen there. Co-main event, Brian Ortega, man. You want to talk about if you if you're Ortega going into this fight and you just feel like no matter what, things just can't go your way. And you're being introduced, you're jumping around, and you roll your ankle. At that moment, you just got to be like, oh, crap. That was insane. And so, then, I mean, gets annihilated in the first round. Yair Rodriguez 
I mean, there might have been some refs that could have potentially stopped that. If it's not the if it's not the co-main event, maybe it does get stopped there. But like the one thing about Yair Rodriguez is you know the question mark with him has always been that takedown defense, and we saw it in the second, third round. Ortega gets there. Uh, Mozar Evalev has called for a number one contenders matchup against Brian Ortega. I don't mind that as a number one contenders matchup, is because obviously you have Max Holloway. Uh, fighting there at UFC 300 against Justin Gaethje. You see what happens there. Does Max want to return to 145, or does he want to stay at 155? But, man, you got to give a lot of credit to Brian Ortega. I mean, you had to weather adversity with the rolling the ankle and the introductions, and then, I mean, that face just getting battered and bruised in the first round, nearly getting finished, and then, you know, comes back in the second and third round, ultimately gets that finish in the third round. Yeah, it was a great story that you saw unfold inside the cage, man. You look at that period in between round one and round two, and you're already trying to figure out when Yair can fight for that championship. There, There's no thought that Ortega's going to rebound here, and he did. And I, I think the strong suit of Ortega is clearly the grappling as he displayed here. And you kind of look at an Ortega to pour your fight down the line, and it's like if he does get Ilya on his back, that's a major advantage for Brian Ortega. No doubt. And when you're projecting future featherweight championship matchups, the Ortega grappling advantage over Toporia might be the biggest gap in who has an advantage over Ilya other than Bryce Mitchell's grappling advantage over Ilya Toporia. But I have no hope of Bryce being able to take down Toporia without getting knocked out. Mm-hmm. With Ortega, there's a real chance. But as we saw against Jair, the man is hittable. Ortega versus Toporia, I'm picking Ilya. Still, it's important for Ortega to smell his roses. He's been through some crap. A lot of crap that I don't even know what what it is, what the true facts are in terms of, you know, his relationship status. He's now married. That was real quick. Um, he was a waste of time. <laughs> that, was, that was not a, a UFC champion uh, fight schedule there with the whole marriage. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's like it's like when did him and Cortez break up, and then how quick yeah. did he get married? Yeah, and there's so much like rumor and innuendo on that stuff. It's kind of gross because it's your personal life, but when you become a public person, people care. When when both people are very famous. When Cortez pulled out of fights with reasons that I don't think are still out there, you have questions as a, as a consumer, but we have those are questions we don't have a right to answer to an answer because that's personal life stuff. But as a consumer, those are my honest thoughts are like, damn, that was quick. But regardless of that, it's like, dude, mentally, that's got to be so difficult to go from a public relationship that you celebrate, that you promote. And that ends along with the injuries you deal with and who knows what else. Ortega must have gone through so much mentally. And to go to someone's backyard and beat them and come out on the other side, he deserves um, his roses. So shout out to Brian Ortega. He is absolutely someone who is another marketable fighter. He's a very good looking man. You know, he, he, he absolutely is someone that, uh, has he's like a, the good looking Nate? He's like the good looking Diaz brother, and he's the guy that I count, I, I counted out heading this one. I, I thought Yair was one of my most 
comfortable selections last week, and I, I was absolutely wrong there. Some of my other takeaways from UFC Mexico, Manuel Torres going out there and getting that uh, first-round submission there. Man, uh, just a, a prospect to pay attention to there. And then uh, two takeaways from the prelims, and it goes down to judges' scorecards. One's in the second fight of the night, Felipe Dos Santos defeating Victor Altamirano. Victor Altamirano had nine takedowns. When they read that scorecard, I was like, huh? I, I, I couldn't believe it. Then we had another fight where uh, uh, Matias has four takedowns, loses a split decision against Aguilar. That was kind of uh, the takeaways there for uh, the rest of me. I don't know if you have some other takeaways from UFC Mexico. To me, I wasn't very impressed with the card. I thought this was a downer from the high of last week. Outside of what you mentioned, um, Yasmin Urigi had a pretty clinical win over Sam Hughes at women's strawweight. Stand up, her stand-up looked good. I think at lightweight, Daniel Zellhuber, also in that main card, performed well against Francisco Prado. And he's a interesting name at lightweight, but he doesn't jump out as, ooh, this is a can't-miss guy. And I think on the prelims, you got to go to the headliner, um, the veteran, Barcelos, Rayoni Barcelos, taking on the young gun, uh, Christian Quinones, facing some adversity. That was a really fun fight, um, along with the Zellhuber-Prado fight. Those are probably the two best fights of the night. But he ends up getting that rear naked choke, and and I thought that was kind of what was notable. But, man, outside of those top two fights, you could have told me that was in the Mexican apex, and I would have believed you. Look, it's so much. As a just sitting on the couch, I'd much rather watch a fight card in front of fans than sit and watching them from, from a warehouse. Yeah, I'm I just, agree with you. I just, I, look, it's... I get why the UFC does it. I understand why they do it. Dude. It's just, I, I just, I, I love the environment. I mean, the best fight of the whole weekend was the fight in the stands. Bro. <laughs> Look, anyone who's going to a mixed martial arts event, we've all seen the fights. They break out pretty much. Like, there's like no security <laughs> at all. Why is this the one sport where people in the stands think, oh, let's perform this one in the stands? Like, you don't go to an NFL game and you see 11 men on one side and 11 men on the other. They play a scrimmage. But we've got we've got a f- exhibition in the stands. You know, you don't go to a basketball game and see somebody dribbling up the uh, section 107 with the rock. I mean, it's crazy. I don't know why people think that this is the one sport where – Uh, There's some time in between the fights or even during a fight. We're going to go ahead and do it. But that being said, that was still the best fight. I mean, the lack of security was crazy because you literally saw them fight to completion. (laughs) Like you saw like a lot of times when people start fights, they're like, well, someone's going to separate me in 15 seconds. But what happens when no one does? Well, then you just get a knockout and you get the guy who got knocked out like to get back up. It was um, it was dangerous, obviously, but. I wouldn't be lying to you if I didn't tell you if it was incredibly entertaining. And uh, oh. maybe they may need to sign one of those dudes. Oh, I, I watched that Instagram reel plenty of times. I watched it plenty of times. Uh, but earlier in the day, we had the PFL and Bellator card. Bellator goes 5-1. and one. They do not get the clean sweep. Of course, the only uh, PFL fire gets the victory. The most important matchup in the main event, Hanfrayer, getting that knockout in 21 seconds there against Ryan Bader. Uh, I, I will say this, watching the fight card, my one criticism, and you know, one thing we always hear about from, from the PFL brass is their production quality. Can we get some more lights on the cage yeah you're right about that one Certainly. i mean I, i'm i'm sitting there on my couch just watching it and i'm like 
this cage is so like not lighted correctly. Like it's one of those things where it's like, did a certain part of your production just didn't make it there in time? Like, I'm just like, Oh man. And, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Spend whatever money it costs to get John Jones in the broadcast and, uh, buy a couple lights. Uh, I certainly agree with you. That's one of those things where if you're going to be a big dog, you got to look like a big dog and they certainly did it. But, the hat tip to PFL versus Bellator is I felt like they were the talk of the town in the MA world this weekend. I felt like more people were talking about this card than the UFC card, in my opinion. And, you know, I don't anticipate that the pay-per-view did that well, but it was a fun night of fights. I think the big winner was I'm glad that the championship fights were three rounds. I was thinking they were <laughs> going to be five, and when I found out, with the uh, the first one that went the distance, uh, Eblen and Kasagane, I was like, oh, a three-round contest. So that was great. But um, aside from Romero and Tiago Santos, which was so boring, the main card was pretty fun. I, I had a good time watching this show, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of these Bellator fighters continue to compete. Man, to me, the big story... I mean, the main event's a big story, but I mean, Eblen Kasagane is the other big story. Those are kind of the two fights I look at, and and, and those were the most interesting about what we're going to do next moving forward with these legacies. Yeah, I was mentioning this to you right before we started recording the show. I think when you're a non-UFC fighter and you want to be known as the best fighter in your weight class, you got to have an A-plus night every time you step into the octagon. It was not an A-plus night for Johnny Evelyn. Yes, he goes out there and gets a split decision victory, but obviously for the people that maybe had questions of whether or not he may be the best middleweight in the world, they're going to point to this fight and say, maybe this is an example of why he's not the best middleweight in the world. By the way, A.J. McKee looked absolutely amazing, and it it really makes you wonder, like, what, like, what are they going to do with this Bellator lightweight tournament? But, like, if you tell me right now, the lightweight fight I think I want to see the most is Usman Nurmagomedov versus AJ McKee. Yeah, it's a fight we haven't seen, and I agree with you, bro. That is that is a badass fight. I mean, AJ looked awesome. I mean, he just basically went in there against Clay Codd, and he's like, hey, bro, we're going to grapple immediately. I am not going to test these <laughs> hands. I'm not going to throw these bungalows. I'm going to get pull some guillotine stuff. I'm going to transition to like three different submissions. And I'm going to tap your ass out. That was one of the more fun AJ McKee performances since he scored a knockout or a submission over over Pitbull. Um, I, I thought that was a return to form to the way AJ looked as he kind of climbed up the ranks to get that featherweight championship opportunity. So he looked really good. I agree with you. That's an exciting fight, man. Aaron Pico went out there and looked like a badass against Corrales. Dominated in every facet of the game. I don't know what Aaron Pico's contract situation is. If I'm PFL, I got to lock that dude up. You, you can't. I, if he only has a, a fight, two, three fights left on his deal, you got to lock that kid up. You're like, right. Because we were talking about this before the show. Like, if you're going to put a criticism on PFL, is I just think that they've got to do a better job of getting domestic talent. They have a lot of great international talent. But like a guy like Aaron Pico, a guy like AJ McKee, these are guys that need to be staples of your organization for a long time. And like, even if if I'm looking at if, if I'm PFL as I'm going into these this 2024 season, 
How is Pico not in your 45-pound tournament? And how's AJ McKee not in your four, in your 55-pound tournament? Yep. Yo, no, you're not you're not wrong. I mean, those are kind of two of the most interesting names in the respective weight classes. So it's like if the tournament is the big thing, that's who I want to see in it. You know, it's like you go to an NFL season and the Chiefs are going to be in the regular season. Um, they they aren't going to be doing super games throughout. So if you're the professional fighters league and your big claim to fame is the season, it would be cool to see the best fighters in the season. Um, so I, I agree with you. I mean, look, if I'm Pico, I want to go to the UFC. Um the idea of one day Aaron Pico versus Ilya Teporia, damn, that sounds like a big fight. Mm-hmm. If I made Jimmy Key, I want to go to the UFC. You know, the idea of a Jimmy Key versus Islam Mahachev one day, damn, that seems like a big fight. I mean, that's kind of my thought with a lot of these really good fighters is, damn, I wish they were in the UFC, but I'm also glad there's a, a number two promotion in, in America. Uh, Jason Jackson looked good. I mean, pretty much – all the belts are dudes look good. Um, Clarissa Shields looked bad. Okay, I'm going to mention this quote. I, I love the mentality here, but I think we also have to be real here. Chris Shields on the MA Hour yesterday, this is her quote, um, and, and this comes from over uh, to Jedi Goodman on, on X. Shields, I'm the quote in, in, in boxing, and now I want to be the quote in MMA. I love the ambition, but for her to become the greatest women's fighter in MMA history, it is going to take a long time. And PFL has to be extremely smart. They way they match her. You can't put her against a grappler and you can't put her against someone who knows how to throw leg kicks. Dude. There's no woman on the planet that is going to fight Clarissa Shields and is going to do a boxing match with her, okay? Even the women who aren't grapplers are going to become grapplers. If, I, if I'm going to fight Clarissa Shields, Jason, the only thing I'm going to do is leg kicks and takedowns because I am not going to go out there and outbox her, okay? So, Jason, that's the problem for Clarissa is no matter who she's matched up with, She's going up against a wrestler because they're going to become one. Kelsey DeSantis, I'm pretty sure, didn't win an NCAA championship. But, damn, she was able to take down Shields. The thing with Shields is um, you got to put your money where your mouth is when, when you when you talk a lot. So because give me an idea. Since 2021, if you're getting out-wrestled by Kelsey DeSantis three years into your career, that's bad, bro. I- I think the problem has got to be is, is if you want if I, I just don't think you can be fifty percent in on boxing, fifty percent in on mixed martial arts. I, you know, and, and I think the question's got to be is where is the money for the Carissa Shields? Is it in boxing? Is it MMA? And so she had this uh, comment yesterday with Ariel where she says she you know beat the s out of Chris Cyborg in spy in sparring. She cannot box, and of course, you know Chris Cyborg's going to respond on, on X. 
And she said, who said the money wasn't right? Money wasn't right. I'm not accepting a fight with Crystal Shields for less than I make in MMA, especially if I have to go up a weight class. I was offered more to fight Katie Taylor than Shields. And also, speaking of a Chris Cyborg tweet, I I sent this one to you the other day. Let me scroll down her timeline where basically uh, she notes of, uh, hey, Don Davis, did did they delete the tweet? Let me uh, see if I can find it here. But basically, it was sitting there saying, uh, yeah, PFL hasn't talked to me. Yeah. And some good tweets from Ray, El- Ray Elby. Um, Cyborg's MMA legacy is just that she's on Twitter a lot. That's kind of what it is. It's like, yeah, it's it, like it, you don't really have any memories of her in the cage, but it's just, oh, she tweeted. It's like, bro, I'm tired of Cyborg's Twitter. I'm tired of her talking about contract negotiations. I really am. I don't give a okay. crap. I really don't. I just want to see her fight. And if she doesn't want to fight... It's her fault for getting in these negotiations for, for not having that contractual freedom. In this terms is, of like, like, quit complaining, bro. It's annoying. This is her tweet on February 25th at Don Davis PFL at Peter Murray NFL PFL. Before you give interviews telling at Mark Armandi what you've told me, we should probably have a conversation. I have not spoken to anyone from at PFL MMA since Kayla left for the UFC and have no plans on making my return to MMA against Larissa Pacheco. I'm just saying, if that's true, it's a bad look for Don Davis and Peter Murray. It is and let me look. just say that, all caps, if. Because I feel like there's probably a version of the story that's not public. Well, the thing is, Chris Cyborg has a reputation where she's been accusing people of being bad faith business partners since 2010. I mean, it's consistent. It's consistent. She's always complaining, and maybe she's justified, but I'm just tired of it. I don't care anymore. I really don't. The last time Chris Cyborg was in a fight that I cared about was UFC 232 in December of 2018. There was not a single fight in Bellator where I was like, damn, I can't wait for that fight. So as an MMA consumer, if she's not going to get in a cage in a fight that I care about, I start to not care about said fighter, especially when it's just complaining on Twitter. And yes, Don Davis and Pete Murray don't have great reputations for fighter communications. Don Davis does not have a great reputation for telling the truth. That is without a doubt a fact. But I am tired of twitter warriors and cyborg is one of the best female fighters of all time but she has allowed her social media presence to dominate the discussion about her and i have no 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 confidence that the person tweeting those tweets is her i strongly believe it's ray elby oh i, I do too. Oh, I, I do too <laughs> i think it's it's that too um you, you want also where uh we f- where there was a fumble on this fight card What's up? The whole narrative going into the main event is the winner fights Francis Ngannou. How do we not have a stare down? Yeah, you're right about that. You're right. I mean, like, that is supposed to be saying Francis Ngannou truly does fight in MMA. He says he will. If he beats Anthony Joshua next Friday, I don't have confidence he returns to MMA. Why would you? Yeah, of course. No, it's nonsensical if you beat one of the best boxers in the world to not continue boxing. He won't come back to MMA from that because you have too much to lose 
and the amount you have to gain is so much less than another boxing matchup if you beat Anthony Joshua. I don't think he's going to beat Anthony Joshua, but he almost beat Tyson Fury, so it's a real possibility. Um, it's, it's just odd that fight's on a Friday. Yeah, you're right, but it's it's going to happen. Um, I'm excited for it. The trailer was really cool. I think for PFL, I mean, at this point, you can make the case that Hen Ferrer is the most interesting non-UFC heavyweight to take on Nganu. I agree. He just goes out there, knocks people out, knocked out Ryan Bader. And the most important part about his marketability is he looks freaking awesome. He's huge. He looks like a badass. And he performs like a badass. So the PFL doesn't have a marketable challenger. People don't know who Henan Ferreira is. But people who are hardcore fans that are watching this product, I, I think would agree with the point I laid down and that he's the most interesting challenger for Ngannou. The, so, si- we'll the size and length that he has makes it interesting. Um, you got to look at Vadim Nimkov now at heavyweight. That could be a, that could be an interesting challenge there. I mean, I would have to imagine that Nimkov could, you know, potentially be looking at maybe facing the winner uh, of that fight if, if they're going to move over. But, yeah, I, I just thought that was a little bit uh, of a fumbling the bag there by PFL. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, PFL is going to be uh, right around the corner here, so we'll see how it goes there. By the way, I, I was watching Luke Thomas's live chat, and – he had a, a listener ask a very interesting question. And it was basically, who has a more engaging fan base? The PFL or Power Slap? And me and you were texting about this yesterday. And I think it really depends on the platform we're talking about. If you tell me on Instagram, I think it's Power Slap. Other platforms, it's probably PFL. But like, it's a very interesting, like, the combat sports audience, are they more invested in the PFL, or are they more invested in Power Slap? And I don't know the answer. Oh, in terms of that question, I think the combat sports fan is more invested in the PFL than Power Slap. But it's important to say that the answer changes based on the way you frame the question. Because short-term social media content People are way more invested in Power Slap. Short term, more people are watching Power Slap content. Short term, more people have hot takes about Power Slap than PFL. So there's more of a conversation around the idea of Power Slap than the PFL. Without a doubt, when you look at those numbers, you look at Instagram, uh, Power Slap's like in the high two millions for followers. Has Power Slap been around for a year? Yeah. That's another important point is is the is the lifespan of the you know power subs had like six yeah. major events. It, obviously, a big help for them is the ability with the cross promotion with the UFC. I mean, that's that's a huge benefit. Yes, short term, power slap beats PFL, and that's kind of how people consume stuff now, right? We've become goldfish in our society. We forget what we did a minute ago. We just are concerned about the next 15-second dopamine fix. Power Slap is perfect for that. Long-term, when you say the word investment, I think of long-term investment, following a product, caring about the fighters, having opinions about who does Hedden Farrah fight next, Johnny Ablin, what's next for him? 
you know, that heavily favors the PFL. At this point, the most marketable thing about Power Slap is that power, the idea of the sport. People are not at a bar saying, what do you think about bad, you know, what do you think about Dirty McGee? People don't know who the power slappers are currently versus people know and care about the fighters. And lastly, you look at the Reddits of the respective community. Reddit is a good mm-hmm. sense of the actual community you have, right? There's a Reddit for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, $1.1 million in a MMA Reddit, which is not the same thing as a PFL Reddit, but I don't think there is one. Maybe there is, but to me, that's where people in MMA worlds go and speak. Yeah. That being said, the PFL threads have a decent amount of comments, 4,000 in the Power Slap Reddit. So that lets you know that there is a much smaller community when it comes to people having real opinions and discussion about the storylines of the athletes. I would give it to PFL, but short term, no question, Power Slap takes the cake on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah, they, they have yeah, they, they have they know their audience that they're going to and I just thought it was kind of a very interesting question. Uh now another topic that I want to talk about this week was something I heard on the Anakin Florian podcast, and it's the topic of who is the best fighter to never become a undisputed UFC champion? Now, the caveat to this was they had to compete in the UFC and and I think there's a lot of notable names that get mentioned. There's one name that I think does not get enough mention as someone who never became an undisputed UFC champion. If Demetrius Johnson does not exist, Joseph Benavidez is a guy that should get more respect than what he does. Yeah. No, you're not wrong, man. I mean, Joseph Benavidez maybe has that Demetrius Johnson legacy because for the longest time he was the best fighter, not named Demetrius at 125. I mean, he's a part of that John Fitch legacy of those fighters that would have been champion if said champion did not exist, man. So I I agree with you. That's a great answer. Um, I think the other, you know, there's a couple, obviously, I mean, there's a lot, but I think the one you got to look at is, uh, Uriah Faber, you know, during the UFC, he was past his prime mm-hmm. for sure. He was still able to challenge for championships. During the WEC days, he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If he was born two to three years later, it would have been interesting to see him become an undisputed UFC champion. He is someone that does, you know, is deserving of being in the Hall of Fame when you look at the fact he defended his championship in WEC five times, but he's kind of the first name that pops in my head. Dustin Poirier is a guy that pops in my head because of what his resume is, but I think that a guy I would put ahead of him is Tony Ferguson. I mean, and obviously it has not gone well in, in you know the past couple of years since 2020 for Tony Ferguson. But when you look at that run that he went on, and unfortunately we never got the fight that we wanted to see between him and Habib Nurmagomedov, but I think Tony Ferguson has to be at the top of the list. And look, and I'll say this, I don't. there's no wrong answer here. 
If, if all the fires we're going to mention are well deserved, but I think to me, a guy like Benavidez does not get the respect he deserves because he lived in an era with Demetrius Johnson, and then I I look at someone like a Tony Ferguson above Justin Gaethje and, and Dustin Poirier. Yeah. And I think it's because he the peak the peak was at his highest. At the peak, it was just like, whoa, this dude. It's either him or Habib. That's the best fighter on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think that's a great answer. Man, I think uh, who else would be a good one? I mean, you know, I, you I've, down got, the I, list. I've got a couple other names. Go for it. Colby Covington. Yep. Kamar Usman does not exist. Colby Covington probably would have had, what, three, four, five, maybe successful title defenses? There's a lot of guys he would have gone out there and beat. Six is a lot, but he, he would have certainly become UFC champion without that because there were a lot of dudes he would have gone out there, put him on their back, and beat him bad. Two other names I have on my list. I had Uriah Faber on my list. How about Dan Henderson? Nick Diaz. Wow. Those are two names where you just assume they were champion, but, yeah, you start to think about it and, and, and no. Because remember, were. Dan was a pride champion at both middleweight and light heavyweight. Comes into the UFC, they do that matchup against Rampage Jackson after Rampage had defeated Chuck Liddell, and of course Rampage got the win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also Nate Diaz. You can go along with Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz. I, I think another big one is probably. Uh, I mean, you think of some of the great heavyweights. You know, Mirko Krokop, Antonio Nogueira during his time was really good, but I mean, a big one in particular has to be Chael Sonnen, who was so close to winning that middleweight championship against Anderson Silva. And he probably has the reputation of a UFC Hall of Famer because of how big of his name value. Uh, I think the Diaz brothers, though, those, I mean, to me, those are some really good answers. Also, Alistair Overeem. Literally, that was the name I was going to throw out next and saying, will we throw Alistair Overeem in the mix? Yeah, he has to be. I think amongst that class of heavyweights, I mean, there was a point in time where I thought he was one of the best heavyweights in the world. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to pass a drug test, but <laughs> I, I, I certainly thought he, he was. I mean, the other name – oh, never mind. I, I take it back. He won the championship. I was going to say Boss Ruin, but he actually was a UFC heavyweight champion. Uh, he won it over Kevin Reynolds and uh, vacated it. Yeah, I mean – there, there's a lot, man. There really is. There's been a lot of champions. You know, put puts yeah. I, I forgot Andre Arlovsky was champion. I'll put someone on the fringe of this list. Anthony Rumble Johnson. You yep. think it when he made that when he went up to two oh five and just what he did there, and unfortunately we never got him uh versus John Jones. I think like you you talk about the fringe list, I think Rumble's gotta be on that fringe list. Oh, he is. I mean, I would put Roy McDonald too. That's a good one. He's one of those. I mean, the one seventy pounders that I think of is Rory McDonald and John Fitch. Those are those are the two biggest ones currently. Where it's like, wow, how did they not win the championship? Undisputed championship. Mm-hmm. You know, Alexander Gustafsson at two hundred five. If one. John Jones doesn't exist, you know, he he wins that title. Also, Ryan Bader at two hundred five. Um, the 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 duo of Ken Flo and Diego Sanchez at lightweight during the BJ Penn run, those are guys who you could have seen become champion, and, and they were really damn good for a while. Um, 
who are some guys that retired mid career that was shocking? I mean, Zabit, I guess, but he didn't do enough in his career to get a, get on this list. But yeah. he was almost there. If TJ Grant doesn't have the concussion issues, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's I think like you, I put like Zabit, TJ Grant, kind of that what if category. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think TJ is a little ranked higher than Zabit, but Zabit maybe had more upside. I think Wait. right now the answer is Murabdavis really. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think he's the best fight, best bantamweight on the planet. But Rob out here just living his best life. What's he doing? Oh, I mean, he, he was down in Mexico City. had had the uh, the Mexican flag on. He was having a good old time, man. It's you know, Rob is a guy that it it will be. And, and if people have not seen Sean O'Malley, has kind of already come out and said, "All right, Rob's next." <laughs> I, I, love I it. guess Sean, I guess Sean O'Malley's a man it. of the people. I would have never thought I'd hear him say that, but if he's truly going to say, you know. I'll fight Rob next. I'll goose in the world because I think we both know that's potentially a, a bad matchup stylistically for him, um, unless he can keep that fight at range. If he now if he can keep that fight at range, I think he can clearly beat Marab. But the problem is, is man that that takedown ability and grappling ability, Marab. I, I just got to imagine he gets O'Malley down. I don't know if O'Malley can get up, dude. If if O'Malley beats Vera, that I mean, yes, everything you laid out. That's the story of the fight. Uh, I I would love. Marab and O'Malley. I think that'd be great. My pick would be Marab. I just, I'm all aboard the Marab hype train. Yeah. The other with, name go ahead. Uh, is uh, Shane Carwin. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Shane Carwin. Yeah. Interim champion. Uh, he was, he was a freaking beast, a freaking beast, bro. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he got super tired against Brack Lesnar and his body <laughs> shut down and he just was never the same. Yeah, I know. That's a good one. Yeah, that's if everyone wants to go, go watch that matchup between Carwin and Lesnar, where I mean, Carwin is putting it on him, and then uh, yeah, he he went on empty, dude. He started like lactating. Apparently, I don't even remember. So I heard the word lactation. I was like, what the hell does that mean? His body was like paralyzed, bro. That fight was crazy, man. Yeah, that that is absolutely unreal. Of course, uh, UFC two ninety nine. By the way, next week da- down there, uh, here in my home state of Florida, down in Miami. But of course, this week we got a Apex card, UFC Vegas eighty seven. On paper, I mean, look, it, it's not it's not an exciting card. I mean, we got we got some massive betting favorites on this card. Umar Namaga Madoff is a seventeen to one betting favorite because. Well, there's not exactly a ton of people who are just signing up to fight Umar Namaga Madoff. Eric Anders is a five and a quarter to one betting favorite in this one. Javid Basarat is a 10 to one betting favorite. Lovita Klein is a nine to one betting favorite. And Mr. Mohamed Makayev, he's nearly a four to one betting favorite against Alex Perez. Of course, Alex Perez has had just a ton of canceled fights over, over the years. And I mean, like, to me, I think that may be the matchup that I may be the most intrigued with just because of what it could mean uh, for the flyweight division. I mean, Umar Magomedov, I was watching uh, the interview that his manager, Alio Delaziz, uh, gave to the Schmo, and it pretty much kind of sounded like uh, you know their, their thought process is, is that get this win, potentially then take on Corey Sandhagen. I mean, Umar Magomedov is going – if he – I mean, look, he should win on Saturday and, and probably will, will win in convincing fashion. But he is a guy that I think he will have a top five opponent in his next matchup. Yeah, he uh, he's awesome. He just is. And what stands in about Umar is just his domination 
in every aspect of the game. He's a very fun stand-up fighter to watch along with the given of the wrestling and the grappling. So for Umar at 135, I'm excited to see him. I mean, that's kind of what this fight night's about. It's showcase matchups for interesting fighters, which is better than some Apex cards. Some Apex cards, you're like, eh, I'm not excited for any fight or fighter. But this one at least has, like, mismatches, which I'm excited for. This is one of those Apex cards that if you told me it was at night, yeah, I'm watching after the fact. But the fact that it's on yeah. the afternoon, I can just chill on the couch, and then if I want to go out and do anything on Saturday night, I can do it. I mean, like, you've got the heavyweights, uh, Rosenstruck, the, the a slight betting underdog in that one, but, like, it, it's just, like, there is clearly tiers of these fight night cards. Like, you look at the fight night card last week in comparison to fight night card this week, you can tell the one that's at the apex and one where they're actually selling tickets. Um, but I'll go back to that Makayev and Alex Perez matchup just because if Makayev, I mean, he's only 23 years old I mean I think it's the one thing you got to remember about that one um if he goes out there and has an impressive performance he may find himself into a title I'm not saying he will I'm just saying if they're looking for a fresh matchup he may be the guy that goes out there but yeah I mean like Umar Namagamadoff like if you're buying stock in any fire on this card of being a UFC champion at one point Umar's the clear number one option yeah I I think he really is there's a lot of good names out there, but, I mean, Umar is there for sure. And, I, again, you looked at this card, and it's like, who else is there that can be champion? I mean, Muhammad Makayev is obviously a part of that conversation. And I, I think that's kind of the two things that are drawing you to watch Fight Night. In addition to, you know, Klein is an interesting fight, as you mentioned. Shamil Gaziv, maybe. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to have the heavyweight championship around his waist, but this looks like a showcase matchup for him to use Jazino Rosenstrike as a platform to rise up the ranks. That's what this screams to me. But By the way, you realize he's only one year younger than Rosenstruck. Hey, but 12, 12 UFC fights. I mean, 12 MMA <laughs> fights, so you get a little... It ages hey, you. Heavyweight MMA, bro. 35 versus 34. Yeah, that young 34-year-old, right? It's the, it's like a rookie season in, in mixed martial arts. And, I mean, look, the, the top – the most interesting heavyweight might – I mean, light heavy – the most interesting fighter might be – one of the most interesting fighters might be outside the UFC this weekend. 1FC 166. Okay. Keep your eye out for Anatoly Malakian. According to Cage Match, which their rankings aren't always the best, but – I mean, a topology, not cage match. I got my wrestling website confused in my MMA website. <laughs> According to cage match, you know, Anatoly Malakin's a, a top 20 ranked, you know, heavyweight. Um, even though he's fighting for the light heavyweight championship or defending it against a reigning der Ritter. But this dude, 12-0. and 0, He's 36 years old, so the clock is ticking. But 12-0, uh, and 0, man. I, I, I think uh, goes out there, beats Ritter again. You know. Anatoly Malakin. I, I like his resume. You know, it could be a guy who jumps ship and does some things in the UFC. Yeah, right now things are not very good in one championship. <laughs> There's not exactly a ton of fighters who are uh you know knocking on that door when when you get into one championship. So uh so yeah, yeah. Yeah, so cut it up, you know, Malakin. He's gonna have a main event an Apex card in a year from now. God I hope we see less Apex cards, but well, we're not, we're not. I mean, we're not. I mean, let's just, we could be, 
I get why they do it. I, I, I totally get why they do it. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes follow the money. What makes money? What doesn't cost money? That's the MO for Endeavor. That's just yeah. what it is. By the way, you know, it just came to my head here. What's that? Boy, this James Krause story has just gotten really quiet. It's been a, it's been like a year plus, man. What the hell? The hell's the FBI doing? Are they eating some donuts? I feel like there's only so much you can do. So much investigation. Unless they're going after a bigger fish. Yeah, that's true. It's possible. I mean, the government does move really slow. But that story, I mean, has James Krause said anything? No, no. Oh, why would you? There's no reason for you to say anything. It's true. You don't there, want to there's no, there's, yeah, there's no, what's the benefit to sit there and make a statement? Has he popped back in his Discord? I have no idea. <laughs> he hasn't tweeted since February of 2020. Is that how long ago the story was? No, 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 no. He was, I, I want to say he was more IG. I think he, I think he deleted his Instagram account. If I, if I, if I'm correct. Because I want to say it was the James Krause was his. Uh, yeah, his. Uh, yeah, his uh, Twitter his IG is not active. Damn. He probably could have found himself as like a UFC broadcaster, man. He was he was he was doing well for himself with his YouTube channel. Yeah, he was. And and his analysis was spot on. But yeah, it was just one of those things I was thinking about the other day. I was like, man, we have not heard any update on that at all. Yeah. We'll so, see what uh, happens. so as we wrap this thing up uh, for this episode, uh, we got any wrestling matches this weekend? No, got a free weekend, man. Blank canvas. I think we got one next weekend, but uh, just, um, you know, we'll see what happens this weekend. Maybe I'll watch. Is it? I think that Dune movie's coming out. So I think that's going to be the big event this weekend is Dune 2 is out in theaters um, on March 1st. So, I think I might watch that. Um, it's two hours and 46 minutes, so that's a long time. But uh, it's going to be one of the most blockbuster movies this year. So I think I'm going to watch that. That's my big plans. How about you, bro? I don't know, man. I, I truly do not know what I'm going to do this weekend. You know, probably uh, outside just getting some workouts in, you know. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That, that's my big thing, man. I, I ended up uh, last weekend, my, bo- my body kind of said uh, we need to take some days off. So uh, I took two days off from the gym and uh, got back in on Monday, though. Oh, hell yeah, man. I had the tiger. I had the tiger, bro. You, you, you got this one day at a time. But yeah, you got to listen to your body. When it's time to rest, it's time to rest. And you do that first workout and the next morning, you feel amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I truly do like, I think in a way I'm a little crazy getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym. You are. That's <laughs> insane behavior. I mean, it, it, I do feel a, li- a little crazy doing that, but uh, I enjoy it. Like, this will be like today, because I've been, he got here at the office about 6 a.m. So I'll try to get in, uh, I'll try to get in a workout late tonight. But, but yeah, man, it's, it's actually, it, well, I say this as of now, it seems like it's going to be a relaxing weekend. It seems like it's going to be a relaxing weekend. You know, that, that could very easily change in a moment's notice. But, yeah, man, it's uh, I, I did see a, a funny meme. It says for, uh, you know, wh- why in the month of February, we only got 29 days. We got to pay rent like it's 31 days. Yeah, it's messed <laughs> up, man. It's messed <laughs> up. 
I uh, I agree with you, man. We should get a little ten percent discount on the amount of days we got those apartment people. Yeah, yeah, they always win. The people that we pay for our apartment or our mortgage or our rent, they always win. No doubt about it. But uh, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in this episode of the podcast. Of course, new episodes come out every week. Of course, if you're not subscribed to the show, be sure to do that. Hit that thumbs up. You watch us on YouTube. And if you're uh, checking us out on the podcasting platforms, you leave a rating and review. That would be much appreciated. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MA Report Podcast. We'll talk to you next week as we'll get you ready for UFC 299.